radios, my Christian brothers and sisters, because we've got a lot to cover today. Be encouraged. Oh, my. Be challenged. Oh, my. Be inspired. They need gassed up. They need reviewed. And get excited. It's a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who loves with an everlasting, unconditional love. Your love. Praise the Lord. God's wisdom is brilliant. And receive God's love. That's who and what he is. Release your worries. He's faithful. God is faithful. And receive God's truth. These commands that I give to you today, impress them upon your children and talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is the Get Excited Show. Everybody in the family needs it. Now. With Michael Crawford. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am Michael Crawford on the Roan Dolph Show. And today is the second part of my three-part series on this podcast of Abiding in the Dust of the Rabbi. Do you consider yourself to be a disciple of Christ Jesus? Now, everyone out there, turn up the volume. Turn up the volume because you're in love today's show. You're going to know exactly where you stand at the conclusion of today's show. You don't even have to wait until uh, the third part of the three-part series because the second part is powerful. So get excited. Thank you again for tuning in. I'm Michael Crawford. And as I said, do you consider yourself to be a disciple of Christ Jesus, a fully devoted follower? If so, then as we've talked about abiding in the dust of our rabbi, then you probably wondered, What if? What it would have been like to have walked with Christ Jesus along the dusty roads of Jerusalem and along the pebbly shores of the Sea of Galilee. You probably have wondered what it would have been like to see him heal, to feel his touch, to hear him teach. If you consider yourself to be a disciple of Christ Jesus, then today's. Today's scripture is based in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 18 through 27. will be one of those times that will make you wish that you were there. Because it is one of those times that Christ Jesus spent special time along with his disciples. But beware. Beware. Because in these verses, Christ Jesus looks at his disciples in the eyes and he says, Lay out. I'm going to lay out a challenge that tests their discipleship. And if you're a disciple, it will test yours too. Now, please turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. That's Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. As we get into our text for this morning, I want to set the geographical stage, if I may. According to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, Christ Jesus and his disciples are in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi, a city named after Philip a Caesar, is a town with amazing, absolutely incredible history. 
In the oldest of days, the Syrians used it as the center of Baal worship, which at least 14 Baal temples dotting the community. The Greeks herald uh, Caesarea Philippi as the birthplace of the great god Pan, the god of nature who they believe was birthed in a local cave. The Jews point it to the same cavern as the source of the River of Jordan with all of its memories of conquest and national significance. And in Caesarea Philippi, the Romans declared their glory in a glistening white marble temple which was built to the godhead of Caesar, their god in the flesh. So our text today opens with Christ Jesus and his disciples surrounded by marble columns, golden idols, foreign gods, and it's on the, this dramatic stage that Christ Jesus possesses his question. He kind of poses it to all his disciples. Right on this stage, I mean, of all these columns and golden idols and foreign gods, it's, it's dramatic as heck. But Christ Jesus poses his question in verses 18 through 20. It says, Once when Christ Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? Come on, guys. Who do the crowd say that I am? Now, I want everyone out there listening to this podcast. Everyone right now listening to every word out of the mouth of Michael Crawford, the host. I want you now to remember the disciples were the ushers. I mean, they were the ushers at the feeding of the 5,000. They'd heard the oohs and ahs of the crowd of Christ Jesus feeding them all. Feeding, he fed all the 5,000 men and women and children. And, and on top of that, with just five loaves and two fish. I mean, come on, five loaves of breads and two fish. He fed them all. And they were, and it was right there when Christ Jesus brought sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and life to the dead. They saw the reactions. They heard the comments. And so he asked them, who do the people say that I am? Come on, guys, who do they say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. And still others say you're one of the prophets of old who has come back to life again. And he asked the most critical question of all. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? My Christian brothers and sisters, that is a question that every person has to answer for themselves. Do you say that Christ Jesus is who he is? Or do you even know? I mean, who do you say that Christ Jesus is? Who in your mind is Jesus of Nazareth? Who is he? There are many today who, like the crowds of old, say that he's a good moral teacher or even a prophet of God. But brothers and sisters, the truth is Christ Jesus claimed to be someone far greater than a good moral teacher or a prophet of God. Christ Jesus claimed to be God God in the flesh. Who do you say that he is? C.W. Lewis, who was a professor at Cambridge University and once an agnostic writes, I'm trying, to, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that the really foolish thing that people say about him, like, I'm ready to accept Christ Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Christ Jesus said would 
not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. For everyone out there listening to Michael Crawford, I must proclaim to you, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Then Lewis added, You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Christ Jesus claimed to be God, and so his claim must either be true or false. So, who do you say that Christ Jesus is? Long ago, when the disciples were first asked that question, Peter boldly responded, You are the Christ, the anointed one of God. You see, my Christian brothers and sisters, when a king was made king in that day, they were anointed with oil. And so Peter recognizes Christ Jesus was the Christ, the anointed king of God, who had come from heaven to walk among us to fulfill the prophecies and to reveal himself as heaven-sent God-man. Matthew records that. He records Christ Jesus affirmed his answering by saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, Christ Jesus pats him on the back and says, Great job, Peter. You're right. That's exactly who I am. I am the Christ of God. Just don't tell anybody. Now, why would Christ Jesus say that in verse 21? Why would he say, congratulations, you got it right. Just don't tell anybody. At least not yet. Why would he say that? Well, let me give you just one answer to that. There are others, but let me give you right here. Right now, let Michael Crawford give you just one. The disciples knew who he was. He was the Christ, but they didn't fully understand what that meant. You see, they thought, as many in his day, the Christ, the anointed king of God, was going to come with materialistic overtones. In other words, they thought he was going to lead them to overthrow the Romans and establish a, an earthly kingdom. And so they would have taken that word to the public. Then in moments notice, the crowds would have pulled out their swords, blown their trumpets, and called out the troops. But Christ Jesus says, don't you? Not now. No, you don't understand. That's not my plan, and that's not my purpose. I have come to accomplish something far beyond an earthly revolt. And so in verse 22, he reveals his plan and purpose, which was absolutely nothing like they expected. He said the Son of Man must, and the word Luke uses here for must is a word that indicates that it's by God's design. The Son of Man must, by God's design, suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. His plan and his purpose 
is fourfold. Hear me now. Turn the volume up. Turn your volume up, and thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast today. I am your host, Michael Crawford, on the Roan Doff Show. His plan and his purpose is fourfold. First, he will suffer. Second, he will be rejected by authorities. And thirdly, he will be killed. And fourth, he will be raised. It was this third part of his purpose and plan that he would be killed that the disciples couldn't and wouldn't believe. I mean, put, put it in for yourself. I mean, really, put yourself right now. Everyone out there listening, put yourself in their shoes, in the shoes of the disciples. They've given up their businesses. Some have draped their nets over their boats, and others left their money on the tables and walked away to follow Christ Jesus. Some of them were married. They had families with needs, and yet they're walking by faith, trusting everything to this man that they had met only months before. And as they followed him, they saw signs. They saw wonders. He was doing the works of Christ, the Messiah. But now... He says he's going to be dead. Well, they don't really understand or they won't believe it. They, they can't because if they do, then their dreams die with him. And so Peter, both Matthew and Mark records this, that Peter rebukes Christ Jesus saying, Lord, this will never happen to you. You know, my brothers and sisters, the disciples knew who he was, but they didn't understand what that meant. In verse 22, Christ Jesus says, Death is God's plan for me. By the way, it's not only God's plan for Christ Jesus, it's God's plan for every follower of Christ Jesus. Death for Christ that was physical. With us, it's at least spiritual. Let's look at verse 23 now. Turn with me with verse 23. It says, Then he said to them all, He said to them all from Peter to Judas, From the greatest to the least, he said to all 12, and indirectly he says to all of us who claim to be his followers, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, they must first deny themselves. We must deny ourselves. We live in a culture that has almost no concept of self-denial. We want what we want when we want it, right? Did you know that three of the most popular words in the English language are I, me, and mine? And do you know what that means for many of us psychologically and spiritually? That means the world doesn't rotate around the sun. It rotates around us. And yes, Christ Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then you must deny yourself and place me first. In other words, your world must rotate around me. Self-denial means saying no to me and yes to God. It means to recognize that God is the rightful ruler of the life, of my life, so that where he leads, I will follow. And what he says, I will do. To deny ourselves means that day by day, by seeking to live where he wants me to live, work where he wants me to work, and do what he wants me to do. You know, as a parent, that means loving and sacrificing for my child, as Christ would. As a spouse, it means considering my partner's needs above my own, as Christ would. As a neighbor, it means caring, seeking opportunities to serve, as Christ would. 
Denying myself means that Christ Jesus is my everything. He's my goal. He's my life. He's my passion. Therefore, I will seek his will and his glory, and I do it first above all else. And my Christian brothers and sisters, as you deny yourself for his sake, you're going to become more and more like him. And as you become more and more like him, not only are you going to be blessed with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, but you also are going to become a blessing to others. You're going to become a blessing to others. Why? Because the more and more you become like Christ Jesus, the more they're going to see and experience Christ's love and truth through you. And the more and more they see and experience that love and that truth, the more and more they're going to want him. All because you denied yourself to follow him. Secondly, Christ Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him. Let him take up his cross. The same person who must deny themselves. Hear me now, don't miss this. Turn up the volume. Because that same person who must deny themselves not must take up a cross. Now must take up a cross. When Christ Jesus was 11 years of age, Judas the Galilean led a revolt against Rome. He had raided a armory at Sepphoris. And when the Romans found out, their vengeance was swift and hired. Sepphoris was burned to the ground. Its citizens were sold into slavery. And 2,000 rebels, 2,000, were crucified on crosses lining the main roads. And when the Romans crucified their victims, first they flogged them and ripping and tenderizing the flesh of the back. And then they forced them, they forced them to mount a crossbeam onto those backs and then carrying or dragged it as the best that they could to the place of their public execution where with arms outstretched they would be nailed, raised up, and dropped into the ground where they would hang, often in great agony for days, for days. My Christian brothers and sisters, in order to feel the impact of Christ Jesus' statement on his first century listeners, I need you to just imagine something. I need you to imagine something. I need you to imagine 2,000 citizens of Phoenix, Arizona, possibly your husbands and wives and sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, flogged, their flesh ripped from their backs and then nailed to crosses up and down Central Avenue so that every time you pass by you're forced to see and hear bleeding and moaning and crying and the bearing of unbelievable pain if you saw that especially at an early age what would be on your reaction if Christ Jesus were to say to you if you want to come after me then take up your cross if you want to come after me then take up your cross. Christ Jesus could not have picked a more powerful or startling word picture to communicate the commitment he expects from his disciples, both in that day and in this day too. But then Christ Jesus adds even more. He says, take up your cross daily, daily, 
Die to your plans, your dreams, and your desires. Daily, give death to the urges that drive you. Daily, crucify relationships that compromise your faithfulness. Daily, Christ Jesus says, put to death all your selfish arrangements for living so that I will sit on the throne of your lives. Why? So he can push us down and keep us down under my thumb? No, not at all. So that he can guide us and lead us into life that is full and abundant. So Christ Jesus can use us to make a difference in this world and in the one to come. And as you die to your old life, Christ Jesus says, I will give you new life, overflowing, daily, but we've got to die. And then Christ Jesus says, number three, thirdly, he says, if anyone would come after me, they must follow me. You see, if you and I are going to be his disciples, it's not enough for us to deny ourselves or even take up our crosses daily. If we are going to be his disciples, if we are going to be fully devoted to him, we must follow him. We must abide in his dust. But you say, okay, Michael Crawford, well, how can we do that today? Christ Jesus isn't physically here. He's probably not going to walk into this room that I'm broadcasting from. And you're right. I'm here to tell you right now, you're right. We can't physically see Christ Jesus and follow him, but we can walk in his way. And we can do that by studying his life in the scriptures and by following the Holy Spirit's prompting, those urges and elbows in our lives that the Holy Spirit gives us to show us God's way. You know, I have a very dear friend. You hear me talk about him a lot. Pastor Derek Hines, who I just love dearly. And he was telling me one day, probably the best way to really put some emphasis, this way about really following Christ Jesus, totally committed. He told me about a missionary friend he had named Terry Hawk, whose parents gave a beautiful illustration, I mean incredible illustration, of what it means to follow Christ Jesus by walking in his way. Over 45 years ago, Terry's father and mother, who were farmers, felt led by God to start a Christian boys' school in Honduras a place they had never been and among kids they had never seen. But they felt God was calling them. But as they went around to different missionary and mission boards and agencies for support, no one would support them. They had God's calling, though, but they didn't have man's approval. And so, you know what they did? They obeyed God and they went, yes, Without man's approval, they obeyed God. And so, without any support from any agency or board, they sold their farm, bought a jeep and a trailer and some tools, took their two small boys and sailed to Honduras to start a Christian boys' school. Today, my Christian brothers and sisters, over 5,000 boys have come through that school and hundreds more are being touched for Christ every year. Among them are several dignitaries and government and one of the, of the president of the nation of Honduras. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this. If Christ wills it, 
it will follow. It will happen. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. The only question is, will you follow? Will you follow? Where is Christ Jesus calling you to follow? What is he calling you to do? Is he calling you to dive into a deeper commitment with him? Is there some new thing he wants you to do? Or is it there something old that he wants you to give up? Is there something he wants you to reevaluate, like your dreams, your career, your goals, your relationships? Or does he want you to reinvest in those things? Is he calling you to spend more time with him or to be a better steward of the resources he's given you for his glory, your time, talents, and treasures that are all his anyway? Where is Christ Jesus calling you to follow? What is he calling you to do? If you're his disciple, we must not only deny ourselves and take up our crosses, but we must follow him, follow him. And then, just in case we didn't get it and those early disciples didn't get it, Christ Jesus, in verses 24 through 27, goes on to talk to people who could easily lose their way. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some are standing here will not taste death. They won't die to themselves before they see the kingdom of God. You know, Jim Elliott, was a college student in 1949 when he wrote these powerful words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Seven years later in 1956, on a hot Sunday afternoon, far from the dormitory where he wrote those words, Jim Elliott and four other young men sat together on a strip of white sand on the Curare River, deep in Ecuador's rainforest. They were waiting, waiting for a group of men whom they loved and felt led to evangelize, but had never met the Stone Age killers known as the Alcas Indians. Too busy themselves after lunch, the five young men fixed up a little model house and Later, they were hoping to demonstrate to the AUKUS how to build an airstrip if they were interested in having these white men to come live among them. After this, the five missionaries spontaneously and joyously sang together. They sang these words, We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. So after committing themselves and all they carefully laid plans, to the one who had so unmistakably bought them, brought them thus far, they waited for the AUKUS. They waited for the AUKUS Indians. And before 40.30 that afternoon, the quiet waters in the Kure River 
ran red with blood. Hear me now. Don't miss this. Turn this up. Before 4.30 in that afternoon, the quiet waters of the Curray River ran red with blood. Yes, as Jim Elliott and his four young friends were slain by the very men they had come to win of Christ. Their story is captured in the movie The End of the Spear that was out in theaters back in 2005. When the world got news of this, they called it a nightmare of tragedy. But Elizabeth Elliot, hear me now. Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, wrote later that the world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, to gain what he cannot lose. By the way, many of the AUKUS Indians, including the number that killed those five young men, have now experienced Christ's unconditional love and forgiveness for themselves. They have become Christ followers. How? Because some of the wives of those five men, Elizabeth Elliot being one, denied themselves, took up their crosses daily, and followed Christ Jesus back into the jungle. If you choose to live like this, if you choose to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow Christ Jesus, I can't tell you where that will take you or what will happen to you along the way. But I can tell you this. Michael Crawford can tell you this. You will not only live well, but you will die well. And when you are laid to rest and people gather around to tell others what you meant to them, they will remember the legacy that has changed their lives. That has changed their lives. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am your host, Michael Crawford, on the Roan Dolph Show. And always remember, it's a Christ-minded attitude, not aptitude, that determines altitude. Praise the Lord, abiding in the dust of the rabbi. If you'd like to contact Michael Crawford directly for prayer or encouragement, contact him on his private number at 623-203-8259 or send him an email at getexcited.crawford at gmail.com. Be free, be challenged, be encouraged, be inspired, and get excited with Michael Crawford. Your love lifting me.